We are starting a new series today on the book of um, Habakkuk. Now, if you're British, you say Habakkuk. If you're American, you say Habakkuk. I thought we'd just call him Cookie, if you don't mind. Um, Habakkuk, trusting God in uh, troubled times. And um, if you don't know where Habakkuk is in your Bible, join the club. It's, it's one of the minor prophets. So if you don't know where it is, uh, either on your tablet or in your Bible, you can, go to the, you can go to the index at the start, and you can look at books of the Old Testament. Um, so it's in the first part of the Bible. Halfway is Malachi. That's the end of the Old Testament. If you go back from there, you go Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. So he's like four or five minor prophets back from the end of the Old Testament. If you're like me, you can look it up in your index. It's page 792 in my Bible. Today we're going to um, start with um, Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to be doing Habakkuk for the next uh, five weeks in the morning. And um, in the evening we're going to be starting a series on Matthew's Gospel, Encountering Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. Habakkuk is a book in many ways for our times. It's the cry of a prophet uh, to God who, as he looks on and he sees kind of the mess all around him. It's, it's actually, for a prophecy, for a prophetic book, it's slightly unusual in that it's, it's a lament of Habakkuk to God. It's not, it's not Habakkuk saying to the people, this is what God is saying. It's, it's Habakkuk crying out to God as he looks around him at society and as he looks around him at the nation that he finds himself, the state of society, the, the cultural crisis that he finds himself in, the collapse of faith all around him. He's in Judah, so he's in the southern kingdom. Um, the northern, uh, Israel had split into two, and the northern kingdom had already been taken off into exile, but the southern kingdom was still uh, intact. And, and Habakkuk was a prophet in that time, and this, this was the late... 700, so, uh, so 600 um, in, in that time of BC that, uh, that this book is, is uh, placed. So it's, it's the external threat of, of an enemy, and it's, and it's the internal mess of a society that Habakkuk finds himself in that he starts to cry out to God about. And this morning, I want to think of three things. I want to think of the wrestling of faith wrestling of faith, I want to think of the response of faith, and I want to think of the reason for our faith, the wrestling of our faith sometimes, the response of faith, and the reason for our faith, the wrestling of faith. I will tell you my secret, I have doubts. That is how John Ortberg begins his book, Faith and Doubt. John Ortberg, pastor of many years, trained psychologist, theologian, author, uh, been involved in some of the largest churches in the United States. He starts his book on faith and doubt by saying, I will tell you my secret, I have doubts. Uncertainty, lack of clarity sometimes, gray areas, a wrestling of faith. Madeleine Lengel says, those who believe they believe in God, but without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. Habakkuk is the expression of such doubts. 
It's a wrestling with God about unanswered questions. Questions about injustice and suffering and evil in the world. Faith in the dark. Trusting God in troubled times, as we've called this series. The Assyrians are um, around Israel. They're a powerful nation, and they have been in the ascendancy, but they are diminishing now, and there's a new power on the block, and they're called the Babylonians, or the Chaldeans, as you'll read their name in some of your versions of the Bible. They were on the rise. They were the new superpower, the Babylonians. And there were real threats to this little state of Judah from external enemies, But there were also great problems within. There had been a good king called Josiah who had been trying to return the people of Judah back to God. They had strayed away from him. They had wandered from the faith. They had wandered from their covenantal relationship with God. And Josiah was a good king, but he was replaced by his sons who were very bad kings and did a very bad job. And so the nation had been up and down and was not in a good state. And we read about the burden of the prophet Habakkuk as he prays and prophesies and wrestles with God about the state of his nation with two questions that he asks that have rung down the ages in every Christian mind and heart at times of their lives and those two questions are how long and why (laughs) how long oh God and why let's read some of the verses from verse One of uh, Habakkuk, one, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. That is um, Habakkuk's complaint to God. How long, God? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever asked the question, why? Have you ever wondered why? These are questions that are found throughout Scripture, particularly the Psalms, if you read the Psalms. And how long, if you remember our study of um, Revelation, was the cry of the saints before the throne of God when they suffered persecution under the Roman Empire? How long, God? How long is this going to last? It was the cry of the uh, Israelites under Egyptian oppression. It has been the cry down the ages, how long? And how long is the question of Habakkuk and why? I think we ask those questions at various junctures in our life, at a micro level, at a personal level, sometimes in our personal circumstances, and sometimes at a macro level as we look at society and we look at culture and we look at the state of the world we could highlight several of the things that Habakkuk highlights here and we could talk about violence and we could talk about injustice and the perversion of justice and conflict. Does any of that sound familiar in our day? Do we have a belief as people that by default the world must always become 
a better place? Are we on a trajectory in the world that things must always get better? That's the kind of the hope and the message of every politician. If you vote me in, if you vote in my party, if you vote in my leadership, things will get better. Obama did it in the States. Yes, we can. Yes, we can change the world. Vote me in and we'll do it together. And every politician states the same and, and lives on the hope and, and plays on the hope that things will always get better. Is life in society always on an upward trajectory? Is it always a case of trying to be optimistic and positive? I think there are times in society where evil and bad times seem to prevail. And there are also times in society and in the world where things seem to be more buoyant and uplifted and exciting and, and the economy does well and things seem to be on the up and technology advances and society seems to flourish. How would you have done if you were born at the beginning of the 20th century and you were born into the First World War? And then the First World War was followed by the Great Depression an economic worldwide collapse of, of the economy. And then that was followed by the Second World War. Two terrible world wars and an economic collapse. And so you got to the late 40s and the early 50s. If you were living through that time, how would you feel? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher in London at that time, and he preached a series on Habakkuk in the early 50s, and he said this book is a book for our times. What about us? What about us at this juncture in society and culture? Do we face political turmoil? Do we have economic challenges? Do we face conflict? Do the laws of the land seem to be a complete ass at times? Is there perversion of justice? Upside down values? Culture wars? Habakkuk is still a contemporary book and still speaks to the human soul in our day and generation as much as in any other. If you have ever wrestled with your faith, the seeming absence and silence of God, which is what Habakkuk is saying, where are you, God? Why do you stay silent in the face of injustice and, and, and violence and conflict? Internally in Judah, in the collapse of our national faith, and externally as the, as the Babylonians gather around us. Why, God? Why are the bad guys winning? Why are the good guys being sidelined and hemmed in? Why are the righteous suffering? Then welcome, if you've ever wrestled like that, welcome to Habakkuk. Welcome to the club. You're not alone. You're not the first to ask how long. You're not the first to ask why. You're not the first to ask, as many people have done down the ages, why do bad things happen to good people? You're not the first to struggle with one of the greatest questions of humankind in the, the, the trouble and the problems of suffering and evil. How can a good, good God that we've sung about this morning, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? How can this happen, God? How long is this going to happen, God? And why is it happening? And that is what Habakkuk is doing in this cry of his soul. And God answers Habakkuk. <laughs> From verse 5 onwards, God says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days. 
that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. That reminded me of something in the current times. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and they promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at old fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and they go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. That's God's response to Habakkuk's why and how long. Have you ever received a response from someone, a friend, a business, an acquaintance, and you thought, that is not the answer I was looking for. (laughs) That is not what I was hoping to hear. Computer says no. Such a moment comes now as God responds to Habakkuk's complaint. I have seen the injustice and the evil in Judah, and I am going to send the Babylonians to crush you and to bring judgment on you as a nation. Have you seen the description of the Babylonians here? I mean, it's not exactly a a great indictment. It's, It's not exactly a great pion of praise. They are ruthless and impetuous people. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. They're intent on violence. And then it finishes by saying they are guilty people whose own strength is their God. We used to like this program in, uh, from America. It was, it's about these kind of probationary officers, kind of larger-than-life characters that were dealing with some difficult characters. And uh, there's one larger-than-life woman. She was commenting on this documentary we were watching about this guy that had just been to court and he'd got off, even though he'd, he looked quite guilty. And then he was having a not-guilty party at his house with all his friends. A not-guilty party. And I just remember this woman saying... What kind of people have not guilty parties? Guilty people, that's who. (laughs) Guilty people. These are guilty people, uh, these Babylonians. They are intent on violence. And Habakkuk is indignant with God. The wrestling continues, the wrestling of his faith. And Habakkuk says to God, say what? You've got to be kidding me, God. Your answer to injustice is to bring more injustice. Your answer to our problem is to raise up these pagans and to drag Judah off into exile. That's your answer. And then he kind of answers God and he wrestles some more with him. Like Jacob of old. Your eyes, God, they're too pure to look on evil. Verse 13. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? What would your response be if you were Habakkuk and you had cried out to God and said, Lord, how long is this going to take? Why is this happening to us? Why are we collapsing as a nation? 
why is it so bad? And God says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians and to take you in exile and bring judgment on the people. What would be your response? Would you get your guitar out and start strumming, you're a good, good father, that's who you are, and I'm loved by you, that's who I am? What happens when God responds in a way that is not in line with what we want or think? Habakkuk can't believe it and he can't understand it. And if you've ever been in a stage of your life where you've asked the question, how long or why? And you can't understand God's response. You can't understand God's timings. You can't understand the weight. You can't understand the difficulties you're facing. You can't understand. And you can't understand the way that God answers you. You can't understand the way circumstances have turned out. Then you're in good company with many in the Bible. And you can join with John Ortberg and say, I have a secret. I doubt sometimes. It's the wrestling of faith. One writer's called the ants in the pants of faith is doubt. But secondly, there's the response of faith here of this first chapter of Habakkuk. What is the response of faith, if this is the wrestling of faith, what is the response of faith when we don't understand, when we can't answer the question why, and when God's answer does not seem overly pleasing to us, when we can't comprehend why, how can we trust God in troubled times? Whether that's at a macro level as you look at society and culture, and the state of Christianity, and the state of the church, and the state of the nation, and, or whether it's at a personal level, how can we have faith in God in the dark? The first thing I see here in Habakkuk is, is a bold and honest prayer combined with worship. A bold, bold and honest prayer combined with worship. If you notice verse 3 here, Habakkuk says, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? That's what he says to God in verse 3. In verse 13, he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. So why do you make me look at injustice? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. Why do you tolerate wrong? Verse 3, verse 13. You cannot tolerate wrong. <laughs> this kind of rest, but it's honest prayer. But what he's doing is he's starting to look at who God is. And he's starting to worship God. He's starting to push into the character and nature of God, like we have done this morning in our worship and in our singing. You are good your love endures forever. The love of God endures forever. We're singing the truth of God's character and God's nature. And even though at a surface level it seems that God is tolerating evil, at a surface level it feels like God is making him look on injustice. As he comes back in his bold and honest prayer before God, as he starts to worship God and fix his eyes on who God is, he says, but you cannot... I know your character. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. I know who you are, God. I know your character. And he says here then, he says, Lord, you are, are you not from everlasting? Are you not the eternal God? Are you not the ancient of days? And you are my God. And you are my holy one. And you are my rock. These are all terms that Habakkuk uses as he starts to lean into God. You are the God of everlasting, aren't you? You are my God. You are my Holy One. You are the historical God, the ancient of days. You are my personal God, my God, my Holy One. You are the anchoring God. You are my, you are my rock. And then the statement that he says, 
He says, we will not die. We will not die. As he contemplates that the Babylonians are coming, the state of Judah will go into exile. He reminds himself of who God is. He prays honestly and boldly. And then he says, we will not die. Even though the Babylonians come, and they did come, in 605 BC they came, and they ransacked Judah, and they dragged them off into exile. We will not be eliminated. Psalm 73 is a psalm that asks questions like the questions of Habakkuk. Why do the wicked prosper? Where is God? Why do the righteous suffer? What is the point of faith if this is happening to good, righteous people? And the psalmist reaches the point in Psalm 73 where he says, I almost threw in the towel. I almost, I almost had enough. I almost gave up. Until, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I started to worship again. Until I focused on who God is. Until I came to a place of worship. Until I reminded myself of who you are. Until I worshipped. You are the ancient of days, Habakkuk says. You are the everlasting one. You are my rock. You are my holy one. And worship gives us real insight into the wicked and their destiny. When you bow in adoration and worship, you respond in faith to that God that you do not yet understand. And bold and questioning prayer combined with worship and trust. We will not die. We visited our son recently in, in Zurich. He's studying in Switzerland and we were checking out the hotel and um, it was pouring with rain. And the receptionist said to me, the Swiss-German receptionist said, um, he said, have you, got, have you got far to go? And I said, yeah, we do. We've got we to get to the train station. It was absolutely sheeting it with rain. So I thought that this receptionist would say what most receptionists in hotels would say. I thought he'd say, would... Would you like me to order you a, uh, a taxi, sir? And, uh, but he didn't. He just looked at me and he said, you will survive. <laughs> what? <laughs> you will survive. Get out. <laughs> we will not die. <laughs> There's this funny verse in Luke where Jesus is talking to his disciples, Luke 21, 16 to 18. And he's telling them how it's going to go with them. And he says, even those closest to you, your parents and your brothers and your relatives and your friends, they will betray you. And they will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you're my followers. But not a hair of your head will perish. That's what Jesus said. Some of you will die, but not a hair of your head will perish. Some of you will be killed, but not a hair of your head will perish. And ultimately, we know, do we not, that whatever happens to us, whatever transpires, we will not die. <laughs> but we will have everlasting life. And the first thing that Habakkuk does in his response of faith is he boldly and strongly cries out to God in prayer, but he worships. 
and he stands, he stands, and he says, we will not die. And he stands and he waits for the deliverance of God. So at the start of chapter 2, he does what many of us should do sometimes, is don't just do something, stand there. I will stand, he says. I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what God will say to me. I will stand and I'm going to wait and I'm going to see what God does. Philippians 4 verse 1 says, Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6 and he says, Stand, therefore put on the full armour of God that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything else, to stand. I will stand at my watch. I will wait. I will see what God does. I will see what God says. We will not die. God is active. Wait and see what God will do. Stand. I've told you before about in the film, The Bridge of Spies, and Tom Hanks plays uh, Donovan, an American lawyer, acting behalf, on behalf of a suspected Russian spy. And uh, he refuses to give in to discouragement. And he also observes in this Russian, this Russian able, a seemingly emotional state, emotionless state, an emotionless state. And the lawyer is, is facing criticism for helping a Russian, a suspected Russian spy, not, not, no less. And Abel begins to talk, the Russian begins to talk to the American lawyer, to Tom Hanks. And he says, you remind me of a man who visited our house when I was a child. My father said to watch him closely, but he never did anything remarkable until one day our house was surrounded by border guards. They beat my father, they beat my mother, and they beat this man. And each time they beat him, he stood up. And they beat him harder. And each time he got back on his feet. I think of because of this, they stopped beating him and they let him live. A standing man. That is what he was. He was a standing man. Standing firm under attack, while it requires stern resolution on the part of each individual, is a corporate matter, an activity of the fellowship. Steadfastness requires your unity of spirit and soul, your cooperative battling for the faith you hold in common, says Alec Mocha. The response of faith when we don't understand, when we can't see, when it's dark, when culture is against us, when faith seems to be fearful, the response of faith is bold prayer. It's extravagant worship. It is standing and waiting for God. And ultimately, I want to get to the third point, is the reason for our faith. If we have wrestling of faith, which I think we all do, and I think the more that we're honest about that, the better. If we have wrestling with our faith, struggling with our faith, why God? How long, God? And, and, and that's your answer, God. It's not the answer I wanted. And, and if our response of faith, like Habakkuk, is to cry out to God, to pray, to worship. You are the everlasting God. You are my rock. You are my God. <laughs> and we will not die. And he stands on the ramparts. But there's a reason for our faith. Julian of Norwich, and that's a woman, not a man, said, 
all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Our ultimate confidence is that God wins, that God prevails. And the questions we've seen in Habakkuk are echoed in Revelation, the story of the end. How long? How long is the question of the suffering saints in Revelation? And also a question, if you remember us asking it when we looked at that book, was who can stand? Who can stand under the judgment of God? Ultimately, Revelation reminds us, if you remember that too, that the great Babylon, the Babylonians, the great Babylon will fall and ultimately be defeated. There's a dirge in Revelation at the funeral of Babylon. It's like, the, it's like Charles Dickens. It's, as we look at this great city, Babylon, which is representative of every city, of every nation, of every power that has raised itself up against the people of God down through the ages. In Revelation, we see, we see the fall of Babylon. We see the rise of the new Jerusalem. We see the hope of a new heavens and a new earth. We see that God has a plan, a plan of redemption and a plan of salvation that comes through his judgment. And God will have the last word. And I am going to do something, he says to Habakkuk, in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. You can see what Habakkuk could not see. We can see it today. Habakkuk could not see it as he stood on the rampart, as he stood waiting for the Babylonians to come, probably shaking in his boots. If the Jews had not been exiled, they would not have been dispersed throughout the nations as they were. They would not have built the synagogues that they built throughout the dispersed nations. And the synagogues would not have sprung up wherever the Jews ended up. And the synagogues were the places where Christianity found a home as it spread. It's the first place that Paul and the missionaries would go. They would go to the synagogue and they would preach the gospel. It was always their first port of call. The Babylonians were followed by the Greeks, and the Greeks were followed by the Romans. And a succession of dominant world powers came and went and created an environment in which and the means by which Christianity and the gospel would ultimately spread throughout the whole known world. And Habakkuk could not see this. He could not see this. He could not see God's ultimate plan of salvation. And even if he were told, he wouldn't believe it. And Joseph, for 20 years, as he faced misery and imprisonment and false accusation and exile and being betrayed by his brothers and taken to a foreign nation, he could not know in those darkest moments before God that God was working out a great plan of salvation to save the nation of Israel from famine, to raise up Joseph into a place of prominence and important position and in, in the second in command of a whole nation. Joseph couldn't know that in the darkness. He couldn't know that when he felt deserted. He couldn't know it when he felt betrayed. And when the communists came and they took over China, and all of the Western missionaries who for 120 years had sown into the nation of China, had given blood, sweat, and tears to raise up the church in China. And from one moment to the next, the communists took over, and all the Western missionaries were thrown out the country. 
decades of hard work and investment appeared to be lost overnight. And I'm sure that those were affected as they packed their cases and they traveled back home, asked the question, why God? Why? After all of our work, why are you allowing this? How long, God? Where were you in all of this, in this great reversal? But what it allowed was the seeds of revival among the indigenous Chinese Christians and leaders and the amazing and rapid growth of the Chinese Christian church that ultimately spread like wildfire. What seemed like a great defeat turned out to be salvation and redemption and the work of God. Does that not sound like the gospel to you? Does that not sound like the cross to you? Does that not sound like God's plan of redemption and salvation? So Paul stands up in one of these dispersed synagogues in Pisidian Antioch in Acts chapter 13. And he says to those that are in his earshot, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if someone told you. Paul takes it right back to Habakkuk 1.5. And he says, it's happening now. I'm proclaiming to you Jesus. I'm proclaiming to you God's redemption and salvation. I'm telling you (laughs) that this is God's great plan. And this is what Habakkuk was talking about when he said, you would not believe what I'm going to do in your day, even if it were told you. It's right here, Jesus, I proclaim him to you. I proclaim God's plan of salvation. And we, we turn over to the end of the book. (laughs) We get to read the end chapter. We peek at the final moments and we see that Babylon ultimately falls and we see a new and great city rising up and we see a new heavens and a new earth and this is the reason for our faith not one hair of our head will perish for everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life we shall stand on the walls And we shall not die. We will survive. You will survive. The wrestling of faith. The wrestling of faith. And if you're wrestling with your faith this morning, God bless you. And God help you in your whys and your how longs. And in the darkness and in the fear. But respond like Habakkuk. In bold prayer, arguing with God. God, come on. Come on, God. And that's not the answer I want, God. But you are my rock. You are my God. You are the God of everlasting. You are the ancient of days. And ultimately, the reason for our faith, the reason for our faith is that God has an ultimate plan of salvation. We might not be able to see it like Habakkuk. (laughs) We might not be able to see it like Joseph. 
We might not be able to see it like those missionaries that got booted out of China. But like Paul, we can stand up and say, this is what Habakkuk was talking about. You would not believe what God is going to do in your days. Our mistake, I think, sometimes is to put our hope in something other than Jesus and his salvation and his hope and his plan of redemption. We can look at the politicians. I don't care if you're red, blue, yellow, or green. They're not ultimately going to be your answer. We can look at at nation states. We can look and listen to the economists. We can look at the state of the war in Ukraine. We can look at all of these things. We can look at our nation and the culture wars that are going on and the upside-down values. And We can look at all of that and we can despair. We can look like Habakkuk and we say... There's conflict, God, and there's godlessness, and, and there's, there's all of these troubles inside and outside. But ultimately, God, our hope, our hope, our reason, the reason for our faith, and the only reason for our faith is Jesus Christ and his redemption and his plan of salvation. And for that reason, on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. We will stand. <laughs> You will survive. And all other ground is sinking sand. (laughs) All other ground is sinking sand. So Habakkuk is a book for our times. (laughs) It was a book for Martin Lloyd-Jones times in the 50s. It's been a book for down the ages because I think nations will rise and nations will fall. But God's plan of salvation will prevail. And we've seen the end of the story and it's good. (laughs) So let's pray. As you sit, are you one of those people asking how long, God? I will tell you a secret, I have doubts. Are you one of those people that have asked or will ask, why, God? Life's not always up, is it? Sometimes it's down. It's not always bright, sometimes it's dark, sometimes it's the other way. I don't think it's linear. In the last few weeks, uh, Jenny's dad died and my uncle died. I'm going to his funeral this week. This week we heard that Tim Keller had died, one of my heroes in the faith. And we face, we face death and we face darkness and we face difficulties and we face trials. Things we don't always understand, but we know, you can know this morning, God is your rock. God is your God. (laughs) And he's going to do something in your days you would not believe in, even if you were told. Father, I pray for every individual here today, with an earshot of this message, watching online, listening on a podcast. I pray, Lord, like Habakkuk, we will stand and we will wait for the goodness of God. We've sung about it this morning, God, and we remind ourselves, even though there are times where we think, God, why are you tolerating this? Why are you silent? Why is this happening? We can't help but come round to the place where we know deep down the character of God. We know that you are good all the time. We know that you cannot tolerate evil. We know that you are the everlasting God. 
and we know that it will all come good in the end. All will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Father, I pray for comfort for your people. I pray for eternal perspective for your people. If we cannot see now or believe now that we would see the goodness of God, I pray, Lord, that we would just step back and see how the story ends, how righteousness prevails, and out of judgment comes redemption and salvation. And when the chips are down, God, you win. (laughs) So, Lord, I pray for comfort and I pray for courage and I pray for a spirit of worship and boldness to come over us. We will say, God, you are good and your love endures forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.